Hello, we're Muckal LLP, a highly successful full-service commercial law firm based in Newcastle-upon-Tyne in the north of England. We support businesses, organisations and individuals all over the UK and beyond. And with this podcast series, we share business insight and practical tips to help you with the full spectrum of commercial law. Hello and welcome to this latest instalment of our Muckle Spectrum podcasts. My name is Luke Donnickley and I'm a solicitor in the commercial team at Muckle LLP and I'm joined today by Robin Adams who's a partner. Hello Robin. Hi Luke. Um, so uh, Brexit's proven to be a, a really difficult thing for businesses to prepare for, um, a real moving target, I think not least because of the constantly shifting political landscape around it. Uh, and of course Covid's ridden a, a proverbial coach and horses through a lot of people's Brexit preparations. So as we're recording this podcast, we're on the cusp of leaving, um, but I think there's a, a real sense of deja vu for an awful lot of businesses out there who've already spent time and money preparing for a no deal. Um, and they might not have the resources or indeed the will to do so again before the 1st of January 2021. Uh, but Robin, I think preparing for Brexit isn't necessarily about what you can do before the 1st of January, is it? Um, there's a feeling, I, I think, that Brexit preparations will be uh, an ongoing project that lasts for years and perhaps not just weeks. Uh, absolutely, Luke. I think it's entirely possible, perhaps even likely, that preparing for Brexit is going to be an ongoing task as rules change or evolve. And it's not the case that preparation is necessarily going to be a, a one-off event. Uh, I think referring it to uh, referring to it perhaps as adjusting to Brexit uh, might be a better way to describe it. Great. Okay. And so, really, this podcast is all about preparing for Brexit. And what we wanted to do, I guess, was to think about some advice that's going to help you prepare in the short term. But remember that this is a starting point. Uh, and something you'll need to revisit as uh, we get new trade deals or our relationship with the EU evolves uh, uh, and so on. Uh, and so today we're going to discuss our top tips for preparing for Brexit. Now, of course, every business is diff- different and every sector is going to have its own priorities. Uh, but we've tried to, to, to pick some things that I think are pretty universal uh, and many of which will apply whether or not there's a deal. Because I think it's important to say at this, say at this point that um, even if we do get a deal, we're about to go some of the biggest sort of structural and, and, and uh, economic changes that we've experienced in decades uh, and get a fundamentally new relationship with the EU. And, and that's something you're going to need to prepare for. So I think on that point, my first tip would be quite simply research the topic. If you don't have a, a basic grasp of what's going on and, and, and what might change and how things might change, I think it's difficult to see how you can prepare for Brexit. And I think even just a couple of hours of thinking about things like the single market, thinking about things like the customs union, the World Trade Organization and so on, is going to help you to understand um, your part in the bigger picture. And there's, there's absolutely loads of free resources out there for you. So obviously, your first point of contact on this is going to be me and Robin and these podcasts. But um, remember, you've got gov.uk, you've got the CBI, the Institute of Directors, the Federation of uh, Small Businesses, you've got local chambers of commerce. Basically, there is loads of help out there to get you up to speed. It doesn't need to cost anything, and it should be a real help in orientating you for for what comes next. So, Robin, what's what's your first tip? Um, I think to to follow on from what you've just described there, Luke, uh, once you've worked out what Brexit is all about, 
you then need to take it back to your own business and complete, I would suggest, uh, some sort of risk assessment because you can't prepare unless you know what you've got and what you need to do to, to those things um, in readiness for, for Brexit. So to give some examples, think about um, travel. Do you need to move staff within the EU as part of your business? What are the visa requirements going to be after December 2020? Um, in terms of your reliance on EU manufacturers or suppliers, are they still going to be able to supply you in January and beyond? Uh, and if you deliver services in EU countries, what are the registration or regulatory requirements going to look like uh, after the transitional period comes to an end? Do you need a local subsidiary or an agent? Look at tariffs, especially in the absence of a deal with the EU. What impact would those have on your purchases and your sales? Look at your data flows. Do you send or receive personal data to or from the EU? Those are some examples, uh, but I think the exercise is to, is to really think about those sorts of areas in your business and, and, and record it so that you know uh, what you're looking at and then you can work out how you're going to tackle it. Great. Okay. So I think the third tip we want to give you today is, okay, so you've completed this risk assessment that Robin's just talked us through. Perhaps you've identified some areas of risk. What you really need to do now is, I suppose you could call it book now to avoid disappointment. So, so think about it. Okay. There's going to be a, a lot of pressure on the same services and the same facilities. So freight forwarders, legal services, customs advice, transport, warehousing, and so on. Some of those things that Robin's, Robin's just talked us through. Um, and I think the earlier you can secure those services, hopefully the less you'll have to pay for them uh, and the more likely you are to actually get what you need. But you're only going to know what it is that you need when you've completed that risk assessment process uh, that Rob has discussed. Um, and that, I guess, leads us back to you, Robin. What, what's your fourth, fourth tip here? My next tip is to take a look at your contracts. Are they a help or are they a hindrance? And you need to look at how cessation of EU membership is going to affect those contract terms. For example, do you have helpful terms in your current contracts? Terms that are going to help you if there's some adverse impact as a result of Brexit. So look at, for example, your territorial definitions, your definitions of uh, applicable laws. Look at termination clauses. Look at your pricing clauses and your change control clauses and so on. And do you need to think about Brexit type clauses in new contracts to guard against Brexit risks. You could put clauses in to guard against uh, Brexit itself or things that flow from Brexit. So, for example, changes in raw material costs or um, issues with workforce, tariffs, changes in law, and so on. What's your next tip, Luke? Um, well, I guess that leads us quite naturally to um, the idea of talking to your customers and suppliers. So it really, this might be as simple as, as picking up the phone, uh, finding out what pressure uh, they're under, what problems they might face, whether that's going to affect you, um, whether you think you'll suffer some form of disruption that, that you need to know about. And I guess the key question here for your customers and suppliers is, have they done a Brexit risk assessment in the same way that we're suggesting to you that you ought to have done one? Because if the answer is no, you need to ask whether or not you need a plan B. Um, you know, what is your business going to do in the event of an issue with, say, one of your suppliers, perhaps because 
um, there's some unavoidable problem that they have or perhaps because they haven't necessarily prepared properly themselves. Um, and uh, on this point, something to think about is uh, a Brexit statement for your customers on your website. And that's something we'll maybe discuss a little bit later on in this podcast. But yeah, tip number five really is open up the lines of communication to your customers and suppliers and, and get talking to them. So Robin, tip number six. We've heard people talk about an EORI number. Do you need one? This is an economic operator's registration and identification number. And the answer to the question, do you need one, is yes, if you're importing or exporting goods uh, from or to the EU. If you've already got an EORI number uh, for trade with other countries, that won't be enough. You need a new one starting with the letters GB. If you're trading with businesses in Northern Ireland, you need an EORI number starting XI. And if you don't have the right EORI number, then goods may be held up at the border and you may incur costs as a result. Most obviously storage costs and, uh, and also knock-on um, uh, or consequential costs as a result of those delays. Back to you, Luke. Okay, so I guess the uh, the seventh tip that uh, I want to talk to you about today, um, again, comes back to uh, this understanding point and knowing knowing what the landscape's going to look like post-Brexit. And it, it's really just urging you to think about and to understand the upcoming tariff regime. So it, it may be that we get some sort of tariff-free trade with the EU, uh, but you'll still need to know about trading with the rest of the world. I mean, one of the one of the the sort of points of Brexit was to try and open uh, open up the UK to, to new new trading partners. Um, and of course, there'll be different uh, tariff regimes uh, in place um, as new trade deals and signed and so on. So do you know what the tariffs are under WTO rules in the event that we lose the benefits of an EU free trade deal or don't have a, a free trade agreement with, with a third party? Will you have to pay a new tariff to import a raw material or, or a component? And will tariffs be applied to your exports? Will your suppliers try to pass costs onto you? And will you have to pass those costs onto your customers? Much is going to depend on what deal we strike with the EU uh, and other countries over the coming months and years. But understanding what, tar what tariffs are and how they, they might affect your business and then keeping abreast a of developments and, and uh, understanding um, what actual tariffs are applied is going to be, it's going to be pretty key to you, I think, going forward. Thanks, Luke. I think the other thing uh, to think about, uh, which is tip eight, uh, are non-tariff barriers. So, for example, in terms of product standards or labelling, are there going to be two parallel regimes that you have to comply with, an EU one and a UK one? Is there going to be additional import or export paperwork to deal with? Quite possibly. And as I've mentioned previously, other local registration requirements if you're providing services in an EU member state? And what are the travel restrictions if part of your business involves sending people into EU countries uh, to, to do work? Okay, thank you, Robin. So I think the ninth thing um, that I want to talk to you about today is is data. So we're going to do a separate podcast on uh, on data and Brexit because it's a it's a pretty important topic, and I think it's one that uh, will affect most businesses. But um, an inability to move data freely is going to be one of the the most um, significant 
of those uh, non-tariff barriers that a business is going to face. So, so what's going on here? Well, we already comply with the GDPR, right? We've introduced the Data Protection Act 2018. So why do we need to worry about data in the event of Brexit? Uh, well, basically, when we leave the EU, and remember, we're not talking no deal here, we're talking whatever happens on the 1st of January 2021, we're going to be a third country. We're going to be a country that's outside of the EU. Okay, so essentially we're out of their club um, and we'll be treated like any other non-EU member. Now, legally, the EU have the right at that point to check our goods at the borders, to introduce various paperwork to safeguard their standards um, and to ensure countries um, aren't using the UK as a, as a backdoor into the EU. Um, they're equally entitled to assume that our data protection um, isn't up to the required standard and to act accordingly. Um, and they have certain particular concerns around bits of UK legislation such, that, such as the regulation of investigatory powers act um, which is seen as pretty intrusive. Now this is an issue because it may prevent the EU from coming quickly to an adequacy, an adequacy decision which would be a recognition that data transfers um, to the UK are, are safe and that data can flow easily uh, and we we may or may not get an adequacy decision by the 1st of January there is talk of one uh, but but the they often take up to 18 months so there's no guarantee we're going to get that um, now until that decision is reached we're going to need to rely on some new ways of legitimizing data flows and we're, we're talking here about data flows into the UK because the UK has already said that they'll recognize the EU as a, as a safe place to send data. So there are a couple of ways to do this um, if we don't get an adequacy decision or until we get an adequacy decision. One is something called binding corporate rules which allows say a, a big multinational corporation or a group of companies to make inter-organizational uh, personal data transfers across EU borders um, and there's also something called standard contractual clauses which are basically standard data protection clauses that have been adopted by the European Commission and that parties can enter into to legitimize those data flows. Now there may be uh, some other ways to legitimize those data flows um, but as I say it's a complex area um, and we're producing a separate podcast on this, which is going to be available on our website. Um, but do consider doing a, uh, a data mapping exercise or maybe even updating the data mapping that you did uh, when you uh, looked at this for the GDPR so you can understand the flows of your data and be ready to, uh, to uh, adopt different ways of legitimizing your data flows. And our final tip is about communication. Luke's already alluded to discussions with suppliers and customers to make sure you understand how they're dealing with Brexit and what their expectations and concerns are. But the other thing to think about are your internal communications. Have you reassured staff that you're ready for Brexit? Have you trained them on new procedures and processes? Do they know what to expect? And have you thought about putting a customer facing Brexit statement on your website explaining what you've done to prepare and how you're going to minimise any potential disruption. That concludes our top tips for Brexit and hopefully it gives you some ideas about what you need to be thinking about as 2021 approaches. It's not too late to prepare, there are still things that you can do between now and the end of December and as I said at the outset we should all be ready for a longer period of adjustment as we get used to our new relationship with the EU. So I think this is going to be an ongoing exercise for many businesses. As always, please feel free to get in touch if there's anything that we've raised in this podcast that you'd like to discuss further. But for now, thank you to Luke. Thank you, Luke. No worries. 
and thank you to you for listening. Thank you.